Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. If, you're, if your dream is audacious, a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, it's this North Star, there's gonna be so many wins on the journey to try to get to that, that when you look back and take stock, it's like, well, dang, I've been winning a lot. In this episode, you're about to meet Kevin Carroll. Kevin speaks five languages, has written multiple best-selling books beloved by Oprah and published by ESPN and Disney. He's worked with Nike, Starbucks, Adidas, Walt Disney, Target, Procter & Gamble, Google, Mattel, and the NBA, among others. Speaking of the NBA, in the earlier years, he was the head athletic trainer for the Philadelphia 76ers and then transitioned to Nike, where he worked for years with the unofficial title of Mayor of Nike Town, given to him by Nike founder Phil Knight. He's also a world-renowned speaker and leadership and creative coach. This guy is one of the most energetic people I know, and I think you're going to love the conversation where we talk about post-traumatic growth, the power of play to create community, and the secret Kevin embodies that makes mentors want to mentor him when he was younger. Enjoy the show. Well, I am so excited to be having this conversation with Kevin Carroll, the one and only Kevin Carroll. And I mentioned this before we started recording, and it is true. And people who know about you know that it's true. But for those who are being exposed to you for the first time, you've lived like nine lives, like cats. You got more lives than like 50 cats. And I, uh, yes, I've, th that is a fact. Yes, I've had a lot of I, I tell people, honestly, Jason, that I have a full life and <laughs> So then people say, you mean lives, right? Yeah. yeah, that's probably more accurate that I've uh, had a Gumpian journey for sure. Yeah, well, it makes it Gumpian. Like a lot of people have different chapters of life or phases of life. What I really love about you is every chapter is like, and then I met the president and showed him the, my war wound on my butt. Like it is like every, yeah. every, yeah, there are. There's like 10 <laughs> movies packed into one movie with you. And so we're going to get through some of that but I'm already going to try to like, to like figure out a way to get you to come back because I don't want to rush through things. And so, yeah. uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about today. And this is a little bit of a lazy question, but how, how many languages do you speak? Well, I speak five. I would have had six, but I dropped Spanish <laughs> after five minutes in high school. But I always laugh because I still remember that five minutes. Es Susana en casa, no en la cocina, donde está en la sala, no en la cocina. And I walked out of class. <laughs> I was a bit of a, I was a knucklehead back then, but in the military, they identified my gift. So I had it, but I was just a little bit of a knucklehead. So I ended up learning Serbian, Croatian, Czech, German. I can read Russian, speak a little bit of that too. Yeah. So dabble. So yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, just for American audience, the one thing that, that most Americans <laughs> took a class on and know how to say like, don't sell a shampoo and it's in these pantalones or whatever. Yes. Like, that's the one thing that you don't, but you can do all the other ones. So I can do all the other ones. Yes, I I can go I can go deep in there. That was I I call that. So that's my Black Jason born time. So there you go. Right. So that's one of those chapters. And that's what I'm talking, that's kind of like I didn't know. So I I knew about the books and and Oprah's list and the speaking and the you know and Nike. Obviously, we'll get to that towards the middle of the conversation. But then I realized that you were in the like you were in the Secret Service or something. Like you were in. Are you are you allowed to say like what you were doing? No, I'm not allowed to say what I was doing, yeah. uh, but I, I had a top secret clearance. I worked at that uh, one of those three letter 
establishments, let's just say that, yep. right? Yep. So the three-letter uh, government establishments. And um, yeah, I was learning languages for a very specific purpose. So yeah. What did they see in you? How do you identify someone's good at languages? Is that something you can pick up? How funny. Oh my gosh. This is like, it's going to blow your mind how they do yep. this. So you take a test. It's called the D-Lab. They still give the same test. <laughs> Because someone, I met another person who went through the language school in Monterey, California. Mm -hmm. And I said, and they're recent. And I said, did you take the D? They said, yeah. I said, no way. Because <laughs> I was in the military from 80 to 90, right? Wow. And I'm like, they're still giving the same. So I went online and I found it. <laughs> like, And I was laughing. I'm like, golly. So they give you this test. Yeah. It's really, really, but you learn five sounds, basically, or words. Okay. Glip, glop, gleep, glop, 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 glop. Like, I still remember That's that. That's incredible. And then you put on headphones, and then a dialogue starts. And every time you think you hear, glip, glop, gleep, glop, they have it on there, and you mark it. Huh. And you basically listen to, I, I can't remember how long it was, and then pencils down, and then they can grade it, and they can tell if you've got good um, sound recognition, visual recognition, right? So that's what they do. And then they say, oh, you're probably, and if you get a certain score, you're probably good for Chinese. You might be really good for German. You might be good for Spanish. You might be good for Slavic. And then they send you to Monterey, California, yeah, to Presidio of Monterey Defense Language Institute, which is still there. And they still take people through wow. it. And still the, the little market right out the back gate, still their companions, right? Because I asked this person, this is companions still there? And they said, Yeah, I said, do they still got that great meatball sandwich? <laughs> I said, Yeah. So and they said, and they said, Wait, when did you go to school? I said, Oh, back in early 80s. And you still remember? Yeah. I said, there's some things you just never forget. And so that's how they identify. But then you go to school and you have six weeks to show progress. Interesting. If you don't show progress in your first language, they actually give you a second language. Interesting. Because you might not be matched up, but you already showed you have an aptitude. If you don't make it through that, then they let you pick another job. But they try to keep you there because you're the top, I think it was some ridiculous, like top 5% in the military that mm. can pass that test. And so yeah. they want to keep you. And they treat you like you're at a college campus. So it's not, you're not really yeah. in the military then. 47 weeks, no English is spoken, 10 to 12 hours a day. You're going to learn a language. <laughs> Especially you're if you're wired for it. So then I wonder if there's any parallels in terms of leadership development for that. Like the, the, the seeing for aptitude, kind of a six week boot camp, and then moving people around till they find their sweet spot. Did you find, I mean, you learned five languages. So did you just have like multiple sweet spots or did you have your first sweet spot? I had my first one, so I learned Serbian first, and then that kind of was the the unlock for everything else because now I had a curiosity for like, what do you learn? What is so I'm learning a little bit of Korean here. I'm like, because you're 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 going to class with your group and your language, but you're having lunch with everyone oh, else in their languages. So it was fun to like, what did you learn today? Hey, yeah. how do you say that? And so I'm picking up a little Korean. The German. So my curiosity to when I traveled was I wanted to learn certain words or whatever because I wanted yeah. to connect with you. So there was a big part of I think curiosity was created there and total immersion. So understanding the importance of being immersed in something if you mm -hmm. want to get better at it, I think was really important too. So that's what I 
took away from that was when I, if I drop you in there and immerse you and you have curiosity, you'll figure it you out. You can level up. And yeah, you'll figure it out. Do you feel like curiosity is like an innate thing? I mean, we even talked about how different you are from your other siblings or is that cultivated? What's your perspective on that? I think you, I think you innately have a level of it and then it gets cultivated and strengthened and it grows and blossoms, if you will, and becomes something that um, you know you have an appetite for it every yeah. single day. So I think I had you know, an innate yeah. level of it. And then it just kept getting nurtured by different individuals, situations, circumstances. And then I started to realize that it was um, a strength, but also could create opportunities for me. Yeah, um, specifically the curiosity or your capacity to, for languages, or what, what's, what are you talking about? I think I think it's the curiosity. So yeah. I think at my at my core, curiosity has really been a catalyst for me in many many ways. And the fruit is there. I mean, I think that's one of the things that creates the extraordinary to extraordinary to extraordinary for you. And I'm wondering, that makes me wonder for our listeners, like in terms of cultivating curiosity, and I'll make a statement I'd love for you to push back or respond to it or build on it is like, it seems as if the way that you were nurturing your creativity was by, or your curiosity rather, was by putting yourself in environments that demanded you be curious in order to be successful. Would, would you say that's true? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think it was necessarily that I was always putting myself, I was open to it. So I was open to someone putting me in it also. So it wasn't just that I was yeah. instigating it. Other people might identify, hey, I think you, and then they plot me in there. And so there were, there's all, I was just talking to um, the gentleman and I know we're going to talk about Nike. He was one of the people yeah. who identified me. And we actually talked about how he saw it in yeah. me before I saw it. That is one of the questions I want to explore with you. I sense from getting to know you and from doing some research around you that like mentorship is really important. I mean, you are very generous to younger people. Like you have been so kind to Novus Global and any coach that gets around you, they come away with like a radiance. Like you, you're radioactive in a lot of ways in terms of how you impact people. So I know that you mentoring others is important, but I, I, I believe that's because people have mentored you. And so, the, so sorry for making this longer than it needs to be, but the, the question is, and you kind of already answered it, like it's as if people, people, it seems like when you were younger, found you. Like when I think about like Earl and Tom and, and, and you know, Mr. Lane, like these people from your childhood, they identified you. The question, I guess, is how, how do you become the kind of person that other people are attracted to want to invest in? Because I know, and the reason why I'm asking is I meet so many people who have no mentors. I meet so many people who do not have that and they make up all this stuff about how other people don't care or don't want to make time or no one want to help me or what, they have all these reasons why or maybe they think they don't need help, all these reasons. But I can tell you from my life, I am who I am because I have mentors and I know that's a shared passion. So like, why do you think people identified you? What was it that you had that, that other people don't maybe? Or I go back to curiosity. Yeah. I think they saw that I was the, the kid then, right? They would ask questions. Yeah. I loved asking questions. Yeah. I loved like to find out how does that work or how did you do that or how did you figure that out on the game or why was that important or what's that word again, you know, to my teacher or, hey, how could I say this differently? What's another word for this? Diminutive, actually. I learned that in third grade because I hated people calling me short. <laughs> and so I so I went to my teacher, Miss Rock, I'll never forget. I went to her, I said, I don't like this word. They keep calling me short. And she says, well, you need a new word. I said, how do you do that? Hmm. 
and she pulled out a thesaurus. Yeah. I had never seen a thesaurus, third grade, and she opens it up. And I'm like, that book's just filled with words. Yeah. She goes, yes, and she leaps through. She goes, here's a word instead of short, diminutive. Mm. I was like, that's a nice that's word. That's a flair to it. So, so third grade, I start using that word. If you dare call, if you came at me and called me short, I am not short. I'm diminutive. And then she would always say, and if they don't know what it means, you tell them, look it up. So I think my curiosity, because I loved asking questions, people took notice of that. Yeah. My appetite wasn't easily met. Like I kept wanting to ask more. There's um IDEO Design, one of the top design mm-hmm. firms in the world. Yeah. They had this whole um premise that you should ask five whys. Mm, yes. Just keep asking why, but five times will get you to a better answer. Yeah. And so I was probably doing that before I knew that it was an actual design thinking thing. Yeah. But I would ask, well, why and, and how and what? And so I was really curious that way. And I think folks noticed that about me. Yeah. Where other kids would take what take what they gave them and they would be gone. Well, and uh, in contrast, I feel like Oftentimes, it takes a lot of humility to be curious, and it takes admitting you don't know to be curious. And I think a lot of times people, especially like in an authority age, we're all trying to establish our authority, they think they establish their authority with their answers. The problem with that is answers may attract followers, but they rarely attract mentors. And, yeah. and oh, yeah. right. And so your questions, and I'm trying, I'm thinking now, like if you want to get a mentor, how can you upgrade your level of curiosity? What is it that you don't know? Who knows what you don't know? And how can you? Come, come to them with your questions. Yes. And how do you attract them to want to keep pouring into you? So then keep going with that because you can be curious like in a taking way. You can be curious like in a kind of a jerk. Yeah, way. you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> right. Yes. How would you how would you bifurcate those so a person knows the healthy way to get curious? So I think it's always a matter of your intention. My grandfather would say, pay attention to your intention. And so the intention behind your curiosity is that, are you taking, are you in this taker mindset and then I'm out? Or is it in a reciprocal way? Hey, if you will share that, I can share something back. Mm. Right. And so this generosity, right. Of that exchange, I think is really important because then people want to be around you. They want to spend time with you because they read you real quick, (laughs) especially, you know, if you're in an authority level, leadership level, people read you real quick. Oh, I know what kind of leader you are. You're trying to get yours. Yeah. You've got a plan. You've got an agenda. Mm. I didn't have an agenda. Even when I played sports, my attitude was if you shine, I shine. Yeah. So my generosity started from my childhood, and that was out of necessity that I needed to always find a way to extend the play because belonging was so important to me. And so when you start to put all those ingredients together, being curious, longing for connecting, loving being a part of a team, belonging being at your your motivation every day because I didn't have a traditional family setting – then all those things colliding created people noticing me. Even if I was diminutive, right? They noticed me, and they noticed that was a little different. That is, and I and I, you know, I'm kind of studying you, and have been every time we're around each other. You're just such a fascinating person to to watch and experience. And you, you're not just a, you know, there's a lot of people who are listening to this. Um, you know, a lot of companies and things have keynote speakers and things like that. And I want to say right now, if you're looking for a keynote speaker as the world opens back up. 
uh, my first experience with Kevin Carroll was speaking at the Story Conference, who's led by our friend Harris III, and, and he is just, he's amazing too. We need to get him on the podcast, but uh, I'd never seen a talk like yours before. And so if anyone's looking for a pizzazz, like something that's going to leave people talking about the thing. And, 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 the, ball, and, the, and the, the kicking of the ball, dude, like I'm infamous. It's amazing. At Story. I'm infamous oh. at Story for kicking a ball in the Symphony Hall of Nashville. It's amazing. Yes. And he, the thing is, he punches his ball and a person in the balcony catches it like it's a, like it's a home run. <laughs> yes. Like it was, and it was the most amazing uh, uproar, right? Uh, it was the, the, that's another word I got, cacophony. Yes. It was the most beautiful cacophony. Yes. <laughs> Third grade Miss Rock again. Yeah. yeah, that was my other one. She used that on us as a class, actually, all the a time. Cacophony. The cacophony in this room is unbearable. Sounds like a compliment, but it's, <laughs> but it's not. Yes. <laughs> So it's not. Yeah. So if you can't tell, he is just like just pure energy and, and you can't, you can't like your mirror neurons. I don't know how our brains are wired, but we can't help but be infected by it. And, and so please, if you're listening to this and you're on boards or whatever, decide who gets speakers, talk to Kevin. I say that to say there's a, you love teams. Like when I watch you, you love teams. And the reason why this is important is because, you know, there's kind of the solopreneur movement. There's the, the, uh, and I, I mean that word in a, in a compliment way, but like now that technology is allowing us to work by ourselves when we don't necessarily need teams to do what we used to do with teams. Now there's almost like this anti-team sentiment. And, and Kevin, we see this a lot with coaches. Like there's a lot of coaches out there that worked in the private sector and they, they hated being on teams. And so they left to hang up their own shingle. And now they coach teams on how to lead teams, but they hate teams. You, which I think is hypocritical and probably odious and toxic. You love teams. And yes. there's something, I think when, when and I, I say this to say, when a person comes to you, you can smell whether they love teams or not. And people who love teams, you want to help win because you can trust that they're going to make you part of their team. That is a, that, that is a truth. That was a truth bomb. Like what you just said there. Because I can be an individual contributor, but I know I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. Yeah. And that's the way I know, right? So I know that the way to get something truly amplified in advance is not going to be on my solo effort. Yeah. As, as Harris put it, the lonely hustle. Yes. Right? It's not about the lonely hustle. It's about how do I collect? Well, it's so funny. He actually teases me and says, I collect souls. Yeah. I curate souls and collect souls. Yes. And then I tap into the people I need as appropriate for my endeavors, but they also look for me for their endeavors. Yep. And so I have this um, wonderful set of, of individuals around my life that are part of my team when I call upon them. So I, it's my league of extraordinary creatives. Yeah. I call them, right? And so that's what I tap into when necessary. But I do retreat and have my time, my time as an individual, yeah. where I love to regroup, calculate, think about, strategize, right? Come up with and like, okay, now I'm going to go to this person or that person because I know they're the perfect person to invite to play, mm. to join me. And team always represents play for me, right? And so who do I want to invite to play with me on this, right? And so I'm looking for not only just kindred spirits, but also a set of skills or insights or a thought process or anything that will be complementary to, but also to amplify in advance. Yeah. 
And so that's why I love being parts of teams and it comes from my sports background. Yeah. But I can take it all the way back to my playground yeah. experience. Because it doesn't come from your sports background. You got into sport because of this, not the other way around. Yes. Right. This was exactly so go ahead and tell our audience about the playground experience because I was wanting you to go there. So I always say this with so much reverence and respect. Preston Playground was one of the most amazing places in our neighborhood. And for me, it was the place. It was the place that I you know, won and lost reputations. I learned so many life skills. I recognized the importance of community. I realized that I could do nothing on my own. I needed people to support me. Hmm. And the eclectic, crazy, eccentric group of people who poured into me <laughs> from that neighborhood playground is legendary, like legendary. So part of my little limited series podcast, Cataclysm, I talk about Preston Playground. I talk about the mosaic of men who poured into me and helped me um, grow as a child. And what I realized at Preston Playground was that you were never allowed to stand on the sideline there. Hmm. That was one of the magical things about Preston Playground. You had to figure out a way to get everyone involved in the game. That was a rule in our neighborhood. So if the sides were uneven in a game, then you better use your imagination and come up with um, ghost runners, ghost players, something to even the sides out. So then you would literally you would negotiate how good that ghost player was and what they could do, how fast they were. And then you would, okay, ghost runner on first. So now everybody knew that ghost runner, if you kick the ball a certain place, that they could only get the third because we've already negotiated how fast they are. But if, if the older kids saw someone standing and not in the game, they'd make you stop your game. And they would say, hey, why isn't that kid playing? Where did that come from? Our neighborhood, it was an interesting neighborhood. Sports was the vehicle of energy in our neighborhood. Reputations mm. were won or lost through sports. Mm. It just was a thing in our neighborhood. Sports was that. Yeah. And it wasn't that a bunch of people went on to play professionally or whatever. It was more of a thing, I think, that just from a self-esteem standpoint, yeah. from notoriety, being recognized, sports was that. And But it all started with the innocent games of kickball, right, and basketball, and, you know, football, but just like, you know, neighborhood football, but we would go to other neighborhoods and challenge other neighborhoods. <laughs> so I was playing up with the older kids before it was even a thing yeah. because they saw how I played and they saw that I had this, this ability to see games differently. Mm. Right away, they noticed that. First, I had wheels. I was fast. <laughs> but then they also noticed I had a high athletic IQ. They didn't call it that, but they say, hey, little Carol. You, you get it. Come here. You're coming with us. And so I would go and play with – I'm six or seven. I'm playing with the 10, 11, 12-year-olds, right? And they would say, you know what to do, and they saw my generosity. Mm. They saw that it wasn't important for me to be the star. Mm. I wanted to always find a way to extend the game so we would play longer. Yeah, so like literally like extend the time of the game? Yes, I'd find a way. I'd find <laughs> a way to just keep everyone invested in it and – involved in it what well, let's run it back run it back let's do one more one more right and so and then that person would score like yeah let's do another one so i'd make sure <laughs> that i was always keeping you invested yeah in some way you had a great play great play so i'm i'm always giving you shine always talking about you yeah. i was just that kid yeah and that i think was was recognized really quickly and so when i go to play I always go to Preston Playground. I always go to my first team experiences. 
And team always represents belonging and community and connection. And then I take it back to the roots, Preston Playground. Well, and that's, I don't want to jump around too much, but since we're on the theme of play, one of the things I really also like about you is when, when most people think about teams, they oftentimes they think about like drama and politics and personalities not getting along and gossip at the, at the, you know, the copy machine or whatever. There's that kind of thing. I feel like you do look at it through the lens of play and, and I, it makes sense where that comes from, but can you talk a little bit about that, like in terms of the power of play to create community? And and the, the story that I heard was the you playing tag at Nike. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got three thousand people to play tag at Nike for three <laughs> hours. It was here's another Miss Rock word bedlam. It was the most beautiful bedlam I'd ever <laughs> seen. Yes, three hours, complete chaos. Yeah, it was amazing, and we were playing in one building. Um, for a little bit, like a month. Yeah. And the game had swelled from like five people to a hundred people yeah. in a month's time. And so people were coming from other buildings to try to join our game. And so I got a call from HR thinking I'm getting in trouble. And they said, Hey, could you get 3000 people to play tag? I'm like, yeah, I could get 3000 people <laughs> to play tag. And so they said, would you organize that? I said, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And someone had it just this week. Someone sent me a picture of one of the it jerseys. They still have one. So, so we had, so we gave out these, um, you know, these pennies, these jerseys that said "It" it on it, <laughs> right? Twenty five of them, and we shared them all around the campus. We sent out an all employee email with the rules: no tag backs, where you were safe, and you couldn't stay in your office. You had to go out, right, and yeah. be basically part of the game. Yeah. And it starts at like one, ends at four. Game on. Yeah. And 25 it jerseys were handed out all over the campus. And when you tag someone, you take your jersey off and hand it to that person. <laughs> now they're it. But they couldn't tag you back. No tag backs. Yeah. So I, I didn't get any of the it jerseys back. Not a single one. <laughs> and just this week, someone sent me a picture. Remember this, right? I was like, "That's so good." I would have that framed on the back of my wall. They did. They had it. They had it framed. Yeah, people framed them and kept them. And so I just thought, what was so powerful about that moment was when I shared why we were playing mm. and what was at the premise of that, and and the why behind it. More innovation, more creativity, better problem solving, more abstract thinking, finding time for fun. I always cite. Um, Stephen Johnson's book, Wonderland. Really? Yeah. And in that, yeah. So in that book, what he researched were a uh, 20th century breakthrough innovations. And what he discovered is when people actually got their breakthrough, they were having fun. Mm. They were playing. Mm. And so he has this wonderful quote, you'll find the future wherever people are having the most fun. Wow. I love that quote, yes. right? You'll find the future wherever people are having the most fun. Mm. So I, I always say play is serious business. Yeah. And play is serious in the business of innovation, creativity, problem solving, connection, belonging, team, all those things. But what do we tend to do? We marginalize it. We think it's frivolous. Yes. We basically push it to the weekends. Oh, do that on your own time. Yep. And now more than ever, coming out of what we've just gone through, a global traumatic event. 
we need to find time for fun. We need to find time for play, yeah. right? If we're going to problem solve and find how we're going to get to this brave new world. Yeah, that's powerful. And then is there a Venn diagram of play that is in some ways disconnected, although I think getting into a mind space of play, you're always going to find connections back to your work. Is there a way to play and work at the same time? Like a tag game is kind of like moving away from the, the nuts and bolts of work and then coming back with a renewed energy. Do you help people figure out ways of playing that are also working simultaneously or does that take all the fun out of play? Some people get to blur the lines between their work and play, like I do, yeah. you do, yeah. Yeah. right? But some people have very clear roles and jobs and what they're doing. Yeah. And so how do we inject moments of play and fun? Mm. But I always say play with purpose, purposeful play and finding purposeful play moments throughout your day that you are almost orchestrating. It's almost like an editorial calendar. Yeah. Like that we're going to have these moments where we take these breaks, but they're very strategic and they're very intentional. Mm. I actually did this the other day with a group um, before we had a Zoom call. So we, we're on the Zoom. We're getting ready to start. I said, before we start, everyone gets three minutes. I want you to walk away from here, but I want you to use one of your senses only, only one sense, get out of your space and discover something and come back and tell the story, but only one of your senses. Interesting. So eyes, ears, nose, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Whatever mouth, right. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In three minutes, they came back with these amazing, beautiful stories and they all went, that was only three minutes. Yeah. I'm like, yes, it doesn't take long. It's not, it's not some, like, oh, we got to carve out half a day. No, you can actually do something really intentional in a short amount of time. That's good. Well, you know, and I th I'm pretty sure this was inspired by you, uh, but one of the things that we tried, there, there was a, a petting zoo that we heard about, and during the pandemic, obviously, people can't go to petting zoos, and so they're trying to find innovative ways of, you know, pivoting being a petting zoo. And so what they did was, you know, you could hire them to have a llama show up on your Zoom call. And so what we started doing with like clients in our meetings, we would show up and it was kind of a surprise. We would have our meeting and 50 people would show up. And then also in one of the Zoom squares would be, would be like a llama with like a birthday. So hat good. And yes. it was awesome. Like it was awesome. Yes. And it was like, okay, what would Kevin do? Like a WWKD a little bit. And it was like, how, how do we make this interesting? And, and, they, and, and I think it's brilliant because the reason that's good is if you can bring anything to surprise and delight and create curiosity like these little Easter eggs like that. Yeah. Right. And wait to see who someone puts something in the chat or comments about it and who ignores it. <laughs> and then, and then to go, seriously, you're ignoring that there's a llama in a square. <laughs> like what's your deal? Yeah. Like, and so, and reward the person who actually puts the first note in there or raises their hand about it. That's interesting. See, this is the way that you actually create behavior modification around it. And you start teaching people because I'm rewarding that behavior. I'm rewarding your curiosity. Yep. I'm rewarding the fact that you had the courage to say something or ask like, yo, what's going on with that llama up there? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But if everybody's like, I'm not going to be the one, I'm not going to be the one, I'm not, right? Then I know something's going on with your culture. Yep. Well, that's interesting. And well, I, that, because that is counterintuitive, at least for me a little bit, and this is outing myself in some ways. It's like when I try something new, I'm so insecure about it 
just like the professor, you know, I used to teach at Pepperdine and I would get all these great reviews and then like one person didn't like me. That's where all my attention went was the one person who didn't like it versus the people who do. And what you're saying is, no, you want to do the opposite. When you're trying something new or trying something fun, be looking for the ambassadors of play, the people who are kind of getting it and then calling them out and praising them and affirming them to create that culture. Is that what you're saying? And I would go even deeper. They're ambassadors of curiosity. Mm, that's good. They're curious souls. Yeah. And, and note, worthy to make sure because they could be in it accounting strat planning right food services and they're hey what's going on with that llama yeah what what department are you in <laughs> yeah i need to pay attention to that right because you had that courage and you noticed it where other people who i might be paying you and you're in marketing and design and you didn't say anything yeah so how do we reward that? How do we also instigate it more so that we're on the lookout for it? Yeah. So I, I also, that's part of like my whole lookup day. I have one lookup day every week. I have one day that I look up more than I look at a small screen. That's good. So I, I talk about looking up at the big screen called life, right? Mm -hmm. So everything's in HD and 3D, right? I remind people of that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do it with an intention to discover something I might not have seen before. Mm. I might use all my senses. I might only use one sense. But I'm spending more time on one day every week. I've been doing this for years. Mm. And then I keep in my notes on my phone what I discovered that day. That's incredible. And it's so much fun because it's a actively practicing, right? This is a muscle curiosity, um, play, all the, it's a muscle, right? And you have to keep it strong, agile, and nimble. Mm. So you have to keep it always active and working. You can't just summon it up when someone says, oh, we're going to have a, um, a brainstorming session and uh, you better have some ideas. <laughs> People will seize up when you do that. Yeah. But if you've got creative confidence, let's go, let's dance, bring it on. Well, and if you've cultivated creative confidence in the team, as like a discipline. Yep. Now, not to get too far in the weeds on this with logistics, but so on your, and your, say it again, what'd you call it? Your, your screen day or your, your screenless day? Oh, my lookup day. Look day. Yeah, my lookup day. So with your lookup day, do you modify your schedule to accommodate that? Or are you still having meetings and doing your thing and that's just an extra layer that you put over? How does that work for you? Yeah, it, it, well, it can be any, uh, it can be done in many different ways. So because I walk from my house to my office space, I do it then. So on the walk, I'll do that. But if I, when I take my break, if I give myself, you know, take 15, right? You gift that to yourself. In that 15, it's my lookup moment. Mm. Let me go out, do a walk or whatever, use my senses in some unique way, jot down a note afterwards. And then after a month's time, look at what you actually discovered. Mm. There's so much science behind why getting up, why movement, why movement unlocks, yeah. right? Synapses, right? There's plenty of research around that. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can actually build that into someone's day and not anchor them to a screen for time, 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 zoom, 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 stacking them, th their productivity is going to drop off so quickly. Yeah. So like Steve Jobs was known for going on walks during meetings. Like he would say, hey, walk with me. And, and obviously with the pandemic, you, you know, you're locked on screens. You know, the other thing that Steve Jobs did mm -hmm. I, I can't even believe you just brought that up. Oh my God, it's so good because I have it right. This is you. We, we're, this was not scripted. <laughs> so Steve Jobs, the only time he turned his phone off was when he would go into the innovation lab at Apple, mm. and his assistant, who just wrote a book, she knew where he was when she couldn't reach him. Mm. 
But that was the only time he turned his phone off. To innovate. Was to go play. Yeah. And that was his play time. Yeah. He would go into the innovation lab and just be where his feet are. Be present. Yeah. And I think that's really something when you brought up Steve Jobs, yep. it just made me think he found time for play and fun. Yeah. And that spirit, you know, Kevin does a lot of things. He's a, he's a writer. He, he's a speaker. He's a coach. And, and so this question is more coming with the coach Kevin had. When you work with clients, do you integrate movement into your work with clients? And, I'll, and I say that to say, generally, I don't. You know, that could be an area of growth for me is how can I integrate? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm staring at a screen with someone who's on the other side of the planet or whatever, and we're having a conversation. And after a while, maybe after a couple of years of working together, it gets a little stale, that kind of thing. Like, how, how does it work for you? Oh, we talk about looking at them from a holistic standpoint. And because my background's in athletic training, sports medicine, human performance, I'm always going to address your energy. Hmm. I'm always going to address what are you doing to replenish? What does your rest and recovery yeah. look like? Yeah. Like it's, that's so important. And so how are we actually addressing your creative energy? Mm. Because that is directly going to affect your creative confidence. So we're always making sure that there's these moments, even when we're having a conversation, that, hey, okay, we've hit the 30-minute moment. We'll give you three minutes, but here's what I want you to do. Yeah. And I'll give a little task with it, right? I'll give a little game. See if you can find, right? And take your phone, right? I want to see if you can find this item. (laughs) And and they might be in their house, so it might be a little mini scavenger hunt. Yeah. But I'll have them do that and come back. And you see their smile like, I found three of them. I'm like, (laughs) no way. They said, yeah, it was amazing. And you know what? I never saw those before. I never noticed those before. So how do we actually inject movement? as part of how you're coaching people up, recognizing that it cracks them open again. Yeah, yeah. Right? It opens you back up yep. because movement is is at the root of all of that, right? Synapses, right? Physiology, all those things are happening. So I think there's a great opportunity to offer that to your teams, to your, um, your direct reports, yeah. to people if you're coaching them up, yeah. to give them those moments, right? And gift that to them. And you're going to get more fruitful conversation after those kinds of, you know, purposeful play, those breaks. Yeah, and that's great because, yeah, even today I had, we had a several hour long meeting with our advisory board and that probably would have been helpful uh, for, for them, you know, just to. Hon- well, no, honestly, and and I think when you already let people know when you are at the, at the opening of your meeting and you say we are going to have mm. three moments of purposeful play. And we're they're going to be breaks. You're going to walk away. You're going to come back. But we want to actually instigate some inspiration for you, whatever. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now they're already leaning up, right? Like, what? Because well, now they're like, versus like, oh, here we're starting. Well, I, I appreciate so, your optimism. So I, I'm going to play, the, I'm, I'm gonna play <laughs> the, the cynic just for a second. So like for some people, like, with you know, with, I'm, a, I'm on the board and I'm stuffy and whatever. Like for people who are kind of like anti-play, would you point them towards Red Rubber Ball, which is your book that you wrote on play? Or would you, where would you point people who are wanting to develop a sophisticated uh, defense of strategic play? Oh, I would absolutely get sciency on them, yeah. right? So I'd go to the National Institute for Play and cite some of their research. I would talk about the importance of neoteny, holding on to the characteristics and um, attitude of youth, right? That's what neoteny is, right? And so how do you bring that forward, right? That's from the National Institute for Play. I'd, I'd cite Playworks, mm. which does, um, you know, play for youth, 
but they also do corporate recess, right? And why that's important and how that helps you unlock problem solving, more creative confidence, your ability to come up with solutions for whatever you might be facing as a team. So I'm going to come at you sciencey. Like I'm coming with all the smoke, man. Like, let's go, let's dance. Like I can't, I love haters, right? I love the naysayers. I love the that please come because that's the joy for me is to convert you. Yeah. I want them. I want them heathens, Jason. Like, yeah. Oh, you standing outside Rev Kev's church? I'm coming to you. <laughs> Rev Kev's coming to you, right? And preaching the play sermon, right? I'm coming with you. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's so important for folks to understand that yeah. that if you can just bring a little bit of play, and I can make it as sophisticated as you need it to be, but you will be playing. Yeah. You might not even realize it, and I'm going to point out what you just gained. Yeah. What was the takeaway for you? What was the value add for you? I can create all of that around it to give you more justification to do it yeah. and to understand the why behind it. It's just there's there is a plethora of stuff out there. Another Miss Rock word, yep. plethora yeah. out there available. And so I love having those conversations with folks. Ask me. I I, I can provide you with more than what you would need. Well, we're gonna give we're gonna give you Kevin's details in the show notes as well as that that laundry list that he just dropped. We'll put all that stuff in there. And actually if you're listening to this, we we actually have a PDF that will give you some activities to do around this stuff that Kevin's talking about as well. So we'll give you opportunities to connect with Kevin and all that kind of stuff. Uh, actually I like I like what you said just a second ago in terms of uh, the, the love of conversion, which is probably a religious word for persuasion and influence and just like lighting people up and, and taking people from being antagonistic towards being advocates for this beautiful thing. This is connected. It's going to seem like a shifting without the clutch a little bit, but I, I do admire this about you. And I think this is something that most people forget sometimes and it happens behind the scenes. And I thought of it for you specifically when you were mentioning uh, one of the podcasts I was listening to about you. you, you mentioned that you had written Nike several times asking to... Like you, you, like you, you, you didn't wait for Nike to find I you. wanted to speak at this basketball camp. Yeah. The um, Nike all-star basketball camp. It was at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, IUPUI, mm -hmm. right? So they had had it for years there and I knew about it and I was a speaker then, right? And I, I thought I was killing it, right? You know, with on the speaking circuit with summer basketball camps. And so I should be doing something with Nike, yeah. right? And so Oh, and so I just started writing letters to that. I still have the posters <laughs> that they sent to me as a consolation prize, yeah, so, right? Because they didn't need my services. <laughs> so I got They turned you down. Like you you wrote them. And, they turned me down. And not to ruin, you know, depending on what we put at the beginning of this to brag about you, like, like Phil Knight called you the mayor of Nike Town <laughs> years later, but years yeah. rewind and you're you're this, you know, punk speaker guy who's writing these, hey, please, I'd like to speak at, at Nike camp. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really think I could do a great job there, yeah, right? Right, and help you guys out. But I love, this is the thing though, because again, like your generosity of spirit, your love of team, your positive energy, your, your, your care about extending play and all that kind of stuff. And like that takes some, that takes some body parts to, to, to write at the time anyway, the preeminent icon of all things sport in a global perspective and say, I think I should be speaking at your camps. Can you tell us, do you remember what you put in the letters? 
roughly, I, I literally was just saying, I've been speaking at camps here in Philadelphia. Um, here's the size of the groups that I've been speaking to. They've all been at an all-star level, yeah. girls and boys. Um, we've got a great basketball history here in Philadelphia. I've been told that I do a really good job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just basic stuff. It wasn't like I was setting the world on fire with the letter. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they should let me know. Yeah. And, and so at first I got no responses <laughs> and then I get this and then I get this response and there's like this po- and I still have the posters. Yeah. Like I have them right there in my office because I always have them out yeah. as a reminder. And I actually kept them in my office when I finally got to Nike as a reminder, right, that to not be discouraged. Yes. If it doesn't play out right away. Right. And I've always been told hard work never goes unrewarded. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. And I just kept going and having no idea that when I got the job with the Sixers and the reason that I said yes to that job was the head coach said it will change your network yeah. for you and your family. Oh, that's good. That's and good. I didn't know what he meant by that, except that maybe I'll have my kids will have more access to things that, that and within one week of getting that job, <laughs> I was speaking at a big Nike event. <laughs> yeah, with Spike Lee, Ahmad Rashad, Quinn Buckner. Yes. And an executive from Nike who was the catalyst for going back and telling him, there's this guy with the Sixers. Yeah. I don't think I would have had the arrogance to say, yo, dude, I've been writing to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing. Did you get my letters? That's your first you get thing. My you Did you get my letters? Did you get my letters? <laughs> but there's a few things about this. I, I meet so many people who... You, if you ask them, when was the last time you got rejected? It's like 20 years ago, you know? And what, when I heard that story, I was like, man, like here's a guy who gets rejected on the regular because he is advocating for what he wants. He's like asking for what he wants. Like you weren't mad that Nike said no. Probably, some, you probably agreed with them. Thanks for the posters. You know, like I get yeah, it. I, I, oh, the posters are dope. Yeah, I was excited <laughs> to get the posters. I'm like, that's not bad. Consolation. But like, who who are you asking? Like, for if you're listening to this, what do you want, and who are you asking? How and are you getting turned down? Because if you're not getting turned down, you're probably not asking enough. You're probably not the going. Dream for doesn't it. scare you. It's not big enough. It should be audacious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it it should scare you. Like, should I do this? Is this the right thing? And as you, Jason, you know this. If you're if your dream is audacious, a BHAG, big hairy audacious goal, yeah. it's this north star. There's gonna be so many wins on yeah. the journey to try to get to that. Yeah. That when you look back and take stock, it's like, well, dang, I've been winning a lot. And maybe I never got to that, but that's okay. Yeah. Because you've been winning, right? And I think that, you know, when you talk about the idea of going beyond high performance, that's what it is. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what it is, right? Is I can go beyond my limits. I can go beyond what's in front of me. I can keep stretching. Yeah. Oh, that was a win, but you know what? I can go further. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a phrase I think of a lot, which is uh, asymmetrical risk. And this means something specifically in economic world, so I'm going to kind of use it in- inaccurately. But essentially, the way that I look at asymmetrical risk is how do you go after things that even if you lose, you win? And I feel like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's fact. That's that's a truth bomb, honestly. That's like it's exactly it. Even if you quote unquote lose, yep. you win. Yep. Right? Because in the in the quest, in the reach, there's going to be growth. 
let's just look at yep. the pandemic. Yeah. Right. I was just talking with someone about post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic growth. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Explain to our, our audience may not know what that means. So go ahead and give them some, give them the lay of So post-traumatic stress, we've heard that a gazillion times, PTSD, yes. right? Yep. You're broken. You are broken. But post-traumatic growth is that you actually find a way to rise above the trauma. You find mm -hmm. a way to identify that, oh, wait, I've grown yeah. in some way during yeah. this amazing, global, catastrophic, right? I mean, just, yeah. just, just ridiculous, ridiculous, right, calamity thing that we've been going through. Imagine this. You don't have to have all of them. You could have only one or several of these, but there are four things to identify. And Adam Grant actually just talked about this with Abby Wambach yeah. for Team USA. And so I was put on to this interview. And so I was like, just, I listened to it like five times. I said, that is so good. Mm -hmm. So post-traumatic growth. Yeah, hit me. You will have a greater sense of personal strength. Hmm. Like, whoa, like I can get through some tough stuff. Yes, yep. A elevated level of gratitude or appreciation, especially for something you took for granted. Hmm. Guess what? I love feeling air on my face after I, without a mask on. Like it's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. Gratitude, appreciation. Hey, deeper relationships are a result. Yeah, because you reach out to people to support you and to go through the yes, tough time. right? And you see who your ride or dies are. You see who your people are, right? You see who that is. And I love this one. Many people will get a new sense of purpose mm. or possibilities yeah. during a traumatic moment. Yeah. And this was probably the greatest global traumatic moment, right, that we'll all experience. Yeah. So imagine that you feel like, hey, I can deal with some difficult. I've got an elevated level of gratitude. My gosh, my relationships are even stronger yeah. And you know what? I think I want to do something with my life that's going to leave a legacy. Yeah, it's clarifying. And that's this this ability to grow within trauma. Yeah. And I think that's what's really been remarkable. So when you go through something challenging, big, hairy, audacious goal, asymmetrical growth, asymmetrical yep. wins, yep. right? You're still winning, even though you're quote unquote, well, you didn't get. Well, yeah, but guess what? <laughs> what was the, what, what the Olympians, right? Yeah. Their whole thing was arate, right? Personal best. Why do Olympians get so excited? Well, you came in fifth or sixth, but yeah, but I PR'd. I had a personal record. I didn't know it was that. Amazing. Yeah. So arate, arate was, I was only competing with myself. The original Olympians, arate, the highest level of virtue. That's what that stands for. Mm. So in the original Olympics, that Greek word, arate, that's what they were striving for. I wow. wasn't worried about who was lined up next to me, and I was not competing with them. I was competing with myself. That's why Olympians get so excited. Yeah, I might not have meddled, yeah. but oh my gosh, look what I did. Hmm. So all of us have that ability and that opportunity to look yeah. at asymmetrical wins, right? Yep. Post-traumatic growth, all that. I love well, where my mind goes when you say that, Kevin, is like, uh, do people are, so if you're listening to this, do you know what personal best you're currently striving for? You know, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, obviously physical or athletic, those types of things, or whether it's, you know, with coaches, that makes me wonder if our coaches are listening. It's like, what, what, are, what thing are you trying to get better at? 
And how do you how do you measure it? And then how do you know if you're getting better at it? I mean, is that is that part of the process, or am I missing something? No, that you're spot on. That's exactly it, right? Is you have to I, have that clarity of what it is you're going after that goal, yeah, right. And then I think it is now. How will I measure that success? Yeah. And you can create your own metric around it. That's right, right. I mean, yeah, as long as it's repeatable, right. That's the way that works around metrics. Yeah. And then who am I? Who am I telling? That's oh, that other piece. That's good. Who's doing the, the accountability, right? Who's yep. going to know that I'm going for this so that they can check on me? Yeah. And they can perfect. be supportive plus demanding of me, challenging me, asking me, right? So that when I see that person, oh, have I been doing the work or not? If I know you're avoiding me, I know what's up. If you're coming to me and say, oh, I can't wait to let you know what I've been doing, my progress. So I think that's that other piece that people miss. Because yeah. you can't do it in a vacuum because, yeah, then you can be high-fiving yourself, right? But are you really, like, you know, advancing something, a hope, a dream, and aspiration? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a key thing is – and that goes all the way back to teams, right? Yes, and who's on your team? It's not the lonely hustle, right? It's who are those people that got you and support you but also challenge you, right, and lovingly shove you towards your destiny, yeah, that's incredible. Well, and, and sadly, <laughs> we are out of time. Uh, we and let me tell you just let me tell the audience just briefly what we didn't get to today. We didn't get to talk. We didn't get to talk about Kevin's childhood and and because he can talk about po post traumatic growth versus post traumatic stress with authority. He's not just some guy who's had an easy life telling us how to things we should do. We didn't get to talk about that. We didn't talk about anything about Nike and what that was like working at one of the greatest companies. Uh, we didn't get to talk about post Nike. Uh, so all, these are all things that I'm hoping I can bring you back to talk about like post Nike. What was it like shifting? Uh, and and then of course your career. You had an amazing career after transitioning out of Nike. How do you do that? How do you go from one great career to another great career? So I want to get to all that. Maybe as a final story, uh, since we're out of time, I do want, and this kind of goes towards the meta performance and the asymmetrical risk and moving from one greatness to another. Uh, maybe a, maybe a nice close is you know you have this you're at Nike you have this sense that you're meant for something you you love what you're doing but you kind of have this sense you're meant for something more which I I love by the way you're at Nike but you think that there's something more that's awesome. Uh, and then you go into Phil Knight's office. Can you just, as a close, maybe tell us about that conversation? Because I think that's a nice send off to people. And that's asymmetrical risk, right? So yeah. I, I would call it. I used to call it. Well, still call it strategic risk taking. Yeah. So I, I'm in this. I'm thriving at Nike. Like I mean, I have my own title, Catalyst. That's my official title. Mm -hmm. I'm, my subtitle is Mayor of Nike by Phil. He gave me that title. Phil yeah. Knight, who was CEO and chairman at the time. We have a standing meeting. It's been two years that we've been doing this, a monthly meeting that I go and spend 20 minutes with him and give him a sense of what's going on within the campus, the culture. Hmm. And I now have a book deal with ESPN and Disney. I'm still at Nike. I have a speakers bureau representing me. I'm doing that on my own personal time. Nike's allowing that. Nice. And I have a talent agency now, CAA, right? And so now I'm really conflicted. And so I go in for one of my meetings with Phil and I said, listen, these things are happening. I love it here though. Yeah. But I really feel like maybe I should go. Yeah. And what do you think? And he goes, and I never forget how clear he was with the words. He looked me dead in my eye and he basically said, I don't let talent leave here. And he paused. And so I'm bracing for like something like, like this really like, you know, hardcore, like, and you ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Right. And then he said, we'd be selfish to keep you. Hmm. You've got bigger work to do. 
basically go forth and prosper. Yeah. And with that blessing from Phil Knight, I left Nike in 2004 and I've been on my own for 17 years now as an author, a speaker, instigator of inspiration. And that's the cliffhanger. We're leaving with that. Ooh. Leaving with it. Now we can come back and see what happened. And I want to say this. uh, You have, I feel like you have done nothing but honor Nike since leaving. And I think that's, there's, again, there's so many nuggets from your life that I'm excited if you're ever willing to extract from for the purpose of, the, of people listening to this. Like you, you left well, you know, you, you, you left in a way where it was a gift to them and to you. And there's, there's just a lot of goodness there. And I want to thank and you for I've that. And I've continued to do work with them for 17 years. I just did a project with them a week ago with University of Texas. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my relationship with them is, is as strong as it was when I was physically in the space. Come on. And none of that's on accident, but it's an, it's intention. You've been carrying that since you were a kid. Uh, and speaking of leaving well, thank you so much, Kevin, for your time. Uh, I can't wait to have you back. I just, I just learn from so much from you every time we talk. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a gift to the world. Uh, Kevin, where can we, where can we hear about you, learn about you? Are there anything, any things you want us to click on or, or go check out around your world? It's easy to find me. Just, at me at KC Catalyst with the K. That's easy. You can find me on all my socials and that'll take you to anything oh. else that you want to do. You go down the rabbit hole, the catalytic rabbit hole for uh, sure. Every rabbit hole, it is a rabbit hole because it takes <laughs> you to Wonderland. K- at KC Catalyst with the K. Catalyst. Yeah. K C K A T A L Y S T. I love it. Thank you, Kevin. Have a wonderful rest of your day and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.